All right. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Can everybody hear me okay? Um, just in the interest of time, um, we're going to try to save any questions to the end. Um, so we're going to continue our journey through Genesis today. We're going to begin with chapter 16. Did, did everybody read chapter 16 this week? One of you did. All right. We're going to read it again. So it's okay. All right. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar. Right away, you see, this isn't going to go well. So Sarai said to Abram, Look now, Adonai has prevented me from having children. Go, please, to my slave girl. Perhaps I'll get a son by her. Abram listened to to Sarai's voice. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her slave girl, Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. Then he went to Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, in her eyes her mistress was belittled. So Sarai said to Abram, The wrong done to me is because of you. I myself placed my slave girl in your embrace. Now that she saw that she became pregnant, so in her eyes I am belittled. May Adonai judge between me and you. Abram said to Sarai, Look, your slave girl is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your eyes. So Sarai afflicted her, and she fled from her presence. Then the angel of Adonai found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, next to the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's slave girl, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of Adonai said, Return to your mistress and humble yourself under her hand. Then the angel of Adonai said to her, I will bountifully multiply your seed, and they too will be many. Then the angel of Adonai said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and about to bear a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. For Adonai has heard your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and away from all his brothers will he dwell. So he called Adonai, so she called Adonai, who was speaking to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, Would I have gone here indeed looking for him who looks after me? That is why the well is named the well of the living one who sees me. Then Hagar gave birth to a son for Abram, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael for Abram. So right off the bat in this chapter, Abram once again shows that though he is the father of faith, he still makes mistakes and has doubts, doesn't he? It is always a bad idea to try to accomplish God's plan in your way and in your timing. God's plans come complete with His methods and His timing. And when we try to tinker with that, it usually messes everything up, right? So chapter 16 and 17 go pretty well together because chapter 16 demonstrates the flesh and chapter 17 demonstrates the spirit. And you'll see what I mean in a few minutes. When Jim Langley was discipling 
my wife and I on evangelism and sharing the gospel, he said something that stuck out to both of us. Uh, He said, when sharing your testimony, don't spend all your time talking about what you used to be like. Instead, spend most of your time telling people what God did for you, how you changed. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Instead of going over how Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, through human ingenuity, sinned, causing consequences that still plague the world to this very day in the Middle East, we're going to go ahead on to chapter 17. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning. So we're going to read chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am El Shaddai. Continually walk before me, and you will be blameless. My heart's desire is to make my covenant between me and you, and then I will multiply you exceedingly much. Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, For my part, because my covenant is with you, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Yes, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come forth from you. Yes, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant in order to be your God and your seed's God after you. I will give to you and your seed after you the land where you are an outsider, the whole land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for you, my covenant you must keep. You and your seed after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant that you must keep between me and you and your seed after you. All your males must be circumcised. You must be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and this will become a sign of the covenant between me and you. Also, your eight-day-olds must be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, including a house-born slave or a slave bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your seed. Your house-born slave and your purchased slave must surely be circumcised, so my covenant will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her by the name Sarai. Rather, Sarah is her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son from her. I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Kings of the peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to his heart, Will a son be born to a hundred-year-old man? Or will Sarah, who is ninety years old, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live before you. But God said, On the contrary, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you must name him Isaac. So I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. See, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him very much. He will father twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. When he finished speaking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all of his house-born slaves and all of his purchased slaves, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on this very same day, just as God had spoken with him.
Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised. On this very same day, Abraham and Ishmael, his son, were circumcised. All, also, all the men of his house, house-born slaves, and slaves purchased from a foreigner were circumcised with him. All right. So I need to do this fun chapter. So in verse 5, we see God change Abraham's name. He goes from being called Avram to Avraham. That is from being called exalted father to father of many, or in a better translation, father of multitudes. Now this covenant in verse 6 about fathering many nations is another of those permanent unconditional covenants. All Abraham could do is be blessed by it. For he had no real obligations within this covenant. But God was about to make yet another covenant with Abraham. And while this next covenant would be permanent, perpetual, it was most definitely conditional. It was also bilateral, as opposed to unilateral. That is, Abraham and his descendants had obligations to perform to keep this covenant intact. However, this covenant also was individual. Each person of Abraham's line had the responsibility to accept this covenant for himself or not. In other words, the person who broke the covenant would only affect the provisions of the covenant as it pertained to himself. The covenant would still remain in effect for each individual who chose to accept it. And this covenant is the covenant of circumcision. Now understand what this new covenant of circumcision means. In the first covenant with Abraham, which God just said remains fully intact, Abraham was just a passive participant. He didn't have to do anything. But in the new covenant, meant for Abraham's offspring, there was an obligation. Circumcision as a sign that they chose to participate in the Abrahamic covenant, which meant they gave their loyalty to the God of Abraham, right? So basically, each male following Abraham who expects to be able to participate and partake in the blessings of the covenants that God gave to Abraham must, as an obligation, be circumcised. That is, active participation is required. The penalty for refusing the circumcision covenant was stern. You were to be cut off from among the people. This was both spiritual and literal. When a male descendant of Abraham refused the circumcision, or when a parent refused to have their baby boy have a brit milah on the eighth day after birth, they were physically separated from the clan and they were spiritually separated from God. They were no longer Hebrews and could claim no right to any of God's promises. But Paul would later go on, the Apostle Paul would later go on to say that deep down what God really wanted was circumcised hearts. And we're going to talk about that. How can a heart be circumcised? It is an image that does not really compute, right? So long as we remain bound to the strict, literal, physical act of circumcision, but the ancient authors of the scriptures were not bound by such perceptions. Early in Exodus, 
on the topic of his slowness of speech, Moshe describes himself as possessing uncircumcised lips. And to the prophet Jeremiah, God says of his people, to whom may I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. In these cases, lips and ears are uncircumcised in the sense that they are impeded from functioning as they ought to. Were they instead circumcised, they would be free to serve God as he wishes. So what then does an uncircumcised heart do? Upon being, well, yeah, what does it do once it's been freed for service, so to speak? What is its proper function before God? Lips speak, ears hear, but what does a heart do? Yeah, that's what So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 6, 16 through 19. I'll give you all a second if y'all want to go there. That's Deuteronomy 10, 16 through 19. says the following circumcise the foreskin of your heart therefore and do not be stiff necked anymore for Adonai your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great mighty and awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe he enacts justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the outsider giving him food and clothing therefore love the outsider for you were outsiders in the land of Egypt. With circumcised hearts, Israel is told to love the outsider, seeing him the way God sees him. And this discourse occurs amidst other discussions of what we might do with our hearts when it comes to serving God. It comes on the heels of the Shema, and as Moses continues his speech to the children of Israel, its precept continues to echo. Just a few words before the verses above, Moshe reminds Israel of what the Lord requires of them. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. How are we to achieve this? Thanks for asking. Moses puts a finer point on it towards the end of Deuteronomy. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live. But how does all of this come together for those of us who have committed ourselves to walk in the way of Mashiach? Huh? Probably the most familiar passage to believers in Yeshua regarding circumcision of the heart comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. Go with me to Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29. If anybody has it, they can go ahead and read it. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, 
whose praise is not of men, but of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Whoever gets there can read it. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 through 16. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. Stiff-necked seems to be the theme surrounding having an uncircumcised heart. So let's go one more to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. First Corinthians seven nineteen. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. So what we see, so we see what Paul is saying is really no different than what Moshe passed down. A circumcised heart is the desired and intended result of being in covenant with God. Regardless of whether that covenant comes about through physical circumcision or in the way passed down through and by Yeshua so that all peoples might enter it, a circumcised heart enables us to follow God in ways we might have previously not thought possible. Through it, we can love God and love others, even the outsider, with everything we have. God wanted our hearts to accept and wear the covenant that came to us at so great a price. By accepting Yeshua, Paul says we have our hearts circumcised. We are very literally accepting God's covenant protocol upon ourselves. And since the advent of Yeshua and the new covenant he established, we find ourselves in the same position as Abraham. Either we are circumcised by accepting the new covenant, which is in the blood of Yeshua, or we refuse it. If we accept it, we are, a, we are perpetually a part of the chosen of God. If we refuse, we are cut off, separated from God's people and from God himself. While that may startle some of you, the Apostle Paul's words probably not some of those Jews he was speaking to to their knees because they all understood the ins and outs of covenant ceremony and symbolism. But because the church has for so long turned our backs on the Jewish nature of the Bible, the impact of things like covenant making has not been fully understood. So back in December, I was asked to teach at the harbor here in downtown Dothan, and some of you were there. But something that Julie and I noticed during our time volunteering 
at the harbor for like the last eight months was a complete lack of understanding among the people um, that there had to be change in their life once they decided to follow Yeshua. A lot of people have been led to believe that simply just believing that he existed or died on the cross for their sins was enough to ensure them of eternal life. They didn't have to do anything else. They could just go on about life living the way that they were living before. This was something that I too struggled with as a teenager and young adult. I, I knew there had to be more. I just didn't, I wasn't sure what that was. So just like Abraham, all of us at one point found ourselves at the crossroads of accepting the covenant or refusing it. Yeshua did his part. He died a horrific death that was meant for me and you. And in return, we give our lives back to him by living according to his instructions. As Yeshua said, I mean, he said that he did not come to do away with the law, that not one jot or tittle would be removed from the Torah until all has been accomplished and all has not been accomplished. It requires some effort on our behalf. God isn't going to just flip some magical switch that's going to change you. Before I accepted the covenant, I lived and acted very worldly. Partying, fornication, lawlessness, it all had to stop. I could not keep doing those things and call myself a disciple of Yeshua. And neither can you. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6 says this. Now we know that we have come to know him by this, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is made perfect. We know that we are in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must also walk just as he walked. And Yeshua walked it blamelessly. I'll put it to you like this. Husbands in the room. What if every time your wife asked you to take out the trash, you responded with, well, is this going to be a divorce issue if I don't do it? <laughs> well, no, but then I don't want to do it. Honey, can you mow the lawn? Is this a divorce issue? No, of course not, but then I'm not going to do it. How long do you think that marriage is going to last? Well, we treat God the same way. We want all the perks of the covenant in the relationship, but we constantly look for where we can cut corners. We want to put in little to no effort and expect to be rewarded in the end, don't we? When I first came into this walk, I was sharing what I was learning with a friend of mine who I, that I went to church with. And upon hearing what I was saying to him, his response was, sounds to me like a lot of unnecessary work. And I don't believe God would, quote unquote, send me to hell if I chose not to do it. When we start dismissing certain commandments, no matter how small, it becomes easier and easier and easier to dismiss more of them. That's how we've gotten to where we are today. Many church denominations have relaxed their views of homosexuality, promiscuity, marriage, pornography. 
etc. Some have unhitched themselves from the Old Testament altogether. But if you're in this room and you think you can walk in here, listen to a sermon, sing a few songs, and then go back to living the way you were like a heathen, then you're sadly mistaken. It doesn't work that way. We must have circumcised hearts. In English, it means that we must change how we think. God is saying that we must circumcise our will, our thoughts, our mental thinking processes. Does that make sense? We must turn over our selfish desires of always wanting to do things our way over to him. This type of circumcision, by definition, a circumcision of the spirit and not the flesh, goes to the heart of a man, to his soul, his essence, his attitudes and relationship with God. Now, the flip side of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10 says the following, Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And that has not changed. But Paul would go on to say in verse 11 that that is what some of you were. And that's what some of you were as well. But you were washed, you were made holy, you were set right in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and by the Spirit of our God. I hope that makes it clear for you. Under the conditions of the covenant, you were washed and set right in the name of Yeshua. We cannot keep on living unrighteously. As Yeshua, our master, said, go and sin no more. Right? Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 26 and 27 has this to say. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So if you're in here this morning, or listening to this online and you're struggling with or fully engaged in alcoholism, homosexuality, fornication, pornography, rebellion, anger, being disobedient to your parents, you name it, repent and go and sin no more. But Jeremy, this is hard. Yeah, it is. Following Yeshua is not easy. It's why we must count the cost. They killed him, right? I think the battery just died. It's okay. Can y'all still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's why we pick up our cross on a daily basis. How's that? Better. All right. 
we crucify our flesh on a daily basis, right? Our lives don't become magically easier when we decide to accept the terms of this covenant. We will stumble and fall from time to time. Even since I have decided to follow Yeshua, there have been times where I failed miserably. Miserably. And all of you have too, I'm sure. But when we fail, we run to the Father and fall on our faces and repent. And we move forward. We don't do what Adam and Eve did. They went and hid, right? And then blamed somebody else. There is absolutely nothing that I've done in this life that comes close to the joy I have in serving my Master. Nothing. So in closing, Yeshua's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that message has not lost its relevance today. As a matter of fact, the message is still the same. So with that said, I'd like to invite anyone here today that if you don't know Yeshua, if you have not accepted the covenant, I'd like to encourage you to do so. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands or come forward to the altar. You can talk to me after the service or you can talk to any of the elders of the congregation, Gabe, Adrian, and, well, Bobby's not here, but, but they would be more than willing to talk to you and pray with you. Let's pray. Avino Malkanu, our Father and King, thank you for the covenant that we partake in through your Son, Yeshua. Thank you for your faithfulness even when we have not been faithful. Thank you for your mercy even when we have not been merciful. Thank you for your goodness even when we have not been good. Help us to walk according to the Spirit and not in the flesh. Help us to set our minds on heavenly things instead of on earthly things. For those in this room who may have not made the decision to serve you, we pray that you would convict their hearts by the power of your Spirit and cause them to come to you in repentance. Make us uncomfortable with the mundane things of this world. Move us out of our comfort zones and our flawed theology. And help us to operate in the power and authority given to us through your Spirit, in the mighty name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen.